I want to talk to you just for a few minutes on, on this thing called invasion and how the enemy will invade your life. He'll come in, and as I said earlier, he doesn't jump up. I, we were talking to some of the guys before church, and we were talking about some of one of the greatest things that we talk about now in marriage counseling is our electronic devices, like these things. Is this your wife's? Okay, good. Just look at it and see if there's anything on there you need to look at. We look at that. We look at those, and one of the greatest things is I don't want my wife to see this, or I don't want my husband to see what's on my phone. That's mine. And that creates a division within the family, within the spouse, with spouses. Here's you say, well, what's the big deal with that? I mean, I don't, you know. Well, here's the thing. The devil will start with anything. And if he can create a division with an electronic device, and he will, he'll come in and say, you don't need to know what's on there. That's not a big deal. And all of a sudden, there's things on your phone, her phone, whatever, that's a big deal. He doesn't come in and say, you know what, now that you got that iPad, now that you got that iPhone 27 or whatever it is they got out there now, tell you what I'm going to do with that. I'm going to put a division between you and your wife. I'm going to split you up over this phone. I'm going to cause this to be a major problem in your life. He doesn't do that because if he did, we're wise enough to say, I ain't going to let that happen. I won't buy one. So what does he do? He makes it subtle. And so that's the trickery of the enemy is subtlety do you hear what I'm saying he doesn't send you a memo that I'm fixing to wreck your life he does it so subtle that you'll buy into it remember the first time he ever did that with a little woman called Eve he just placed it so she'd have a little bit of a doubt did he say that what, what was his body language what was the tone you know that's what we want to do right what, what was their facial expressions when they said it we want to read too much into it. See, the devil is so subtle. He'll ease up to you and whisper something in your ear to cause you to think just a little differently. Sometimes he'll just outright tell you a lie. Morning, Scotty. We're going to be reading from Malachi chapter 1. I preached a couple of months ago from this passage, but it's not this message. But I want to... Uh, I want to review a little bit. Three years ago, uh, this past April, I preached this series of invasion. And I'm obviously, as you well know, I'm re-preaching some of this because it is very important. In Malachi, uh, if you're turning there to chapter 1, that is the last book before the New Testament if you have trouble finding that. So go to the middle of your Bible and hang a left, okay? <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> the purpose of this book, Malachi, is trying to bring our performance in line with the profession. Let me repeat that. Malachi here, the prophet, is trying to bring the performance into line, line up with the profession. Our performance should line up with the profession of whom we profess. What you do should line up with what he does, what he has said in his word. And when you do not line up, there's a problem. Could it be that something has invaded your space, invaded your mind, whispered in your ear? Our performance, and I don't mean I'm not workspace, you know me. Our performance should line up with our profession. It is, so, it is such a problem that, the, that God chose to put 
two chapters in the Bible pertaining to this very thing, that your profession should line up with your performance and your performance should line up with what you profess. Amen? It's good stuff. So we look at this text and we see that there are different types of texts. We talked about last week, and I won't go into it for sake of time, but there are two types of prophecy. One is a predictive type of prophecy, and it tells of future events. That's primarily where everybody stays when it comes to prophecy, okay, about something in the future, okay? The second is a didactic prophecy, and it is a call for people to line up morally and teach the truth. That's a prophetic word. When they see something, they're saying, you should line up and be this didactic prophetic word should be, you're not doing what you say you're doing. You're not practicing whom you profess to be following. That's a didactic prophecy, a prophetic word from that. Didactic prophecy exposes sin and calls uh, for repentance and obedience. Woo! Nobody wants that word. We always want those good words. We want those words that says you're going to have a million dollars in the bank account and you're going to drive two Bentleys and you're going to have seven homes across the United States and two on the coast, amen, and one in Colorado. We love those words. Oh, somebody give me a word. Glory to God. And you hang on to that and that ain't worth two cents. Just put on. Woo. But now this, this didactic prophecy, it exposes sin and calls for the repentance and obedience. We don't like that. You know why we don't like that? Because we think we're doing all right. We have led. We have believed a lie. We've walked in a lie saying, here we are. We believed it for so long. We knew it was a lie when we, when we started doing these things that we shouldn't do that wasn't lining up with what God was telling us to do. We started believing that lie. We kept on walking in that lie. And after, long, uh, after a while, we think it's true. Amen. If you have your Bibles, look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. <clears throat> 1, chapter 1, verse 6. We're going to start reading there, and I'll read through um, <clears throat> most of that chapter, <clears throat> which is not that long, by the way. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If, that, if then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. Remember, what we're talking about here is the performance should line up with the profession. If you're calling him Lord and Master, is he Lord and Master? Are you chasing, are you serving something else? Is, is, is mammon your God? Are things outside the church, outside your, are the secular things, is that your God? If you say you love him, are you honoring him? Are you, what you're professing, does your performance line up with that? The Bible puts it kind of this way. If you're a Christian, you ought to bear fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit or if that fruit's rotten, then you might want to check yourself. Malachi sees it to be a real problem. He says, you say that you're honoring me. Be basically saying, you say that I'm your father, but you don't act like it. You say that you honor me, but you don't, where, where's my honor? I mean, this could get really deep. We could stop right here and preach for about a week right here on how you're honoring God. Is it because what you think you're honoring God? Is that, is that really it? We think we honor God by coming to church. We think we honor God by reading the Word. Well, coming to church is for you, by the way. Reading your Word's for you. He already knows it. He got it. All right? 
tithing and giving, that's for you. That's not for him. God doesn't lack for anything in the monetary system, I promise you. Matter of fact, he is so above that he doesn't even operate in it. That's just for me and you. Do you know there's no money in heaven, right? Some of you ain't really sure about that. You think you just bought your way in by a big check you gave. There's no money in heaven. If you take your checkbook, which you can't, but if you could, he'd get there and say, oh, what is that? He doesn't need that. Come on. All this stuff is for, for you here. Amen? Oh, I like this one too. In the latter part of verse 6. To you priest, that'd be me, who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Verse 7, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible? Verse 8, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the, name, the, the lame and the sick, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord? What are we offering? We know, I, know, I know several. I don't know them personally. I just know of them. And some I do know personally. That it's just a ritual to come to church. There's no truth. There's no sting. There's no cut. There's no, there's no dividing of sin. There's no calling out of sin. Fortunately, you don't have that problem here. Amen. But there's churches that will turn an eye or stub a nose or look the other way at sin that's going on in the church house, in the pew of people that are on staff, people that are, have influence over others and there's sin and pastors know it and they look away and they, what they're basically doing is they're taking somewhat uh, lame staff members, somewhat lame pastors, lame laity and saying, here, you lead the people. And Malachi says, that's a problem, priest. That's a huge problem. Well, I got to break it down a little bit more. So what are you offering God? What are you offering? Or do you bring him what's left over? Nowhere in Scripture does the Word of God say that we're to bring him leftovers of anything. In the Old Covenant, it was always bring him the first fruits. In the old covenant, when there was a sacrifice, it was bring him the best of the sacrifice and do it first. When it comes to your money, bring him the first fruits. Bring him a tithe off the top in the beginning at front. Uh, not what's left over if you have enough money because you can't pay your bills. You can't pay your bills because you're unbiblical. Because if you get biblical, you'll learn how to do a budget. And when you budget, you'll say, I cannot afford that. Y'all didn't know I was going to talk about money today, did you? Well, I'm not. Just happened to be what's happening right at the moment. Those things happen, and I'm not talking about situations that come up that, you, that are out of your control. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a day-to-day -day foolishness. Amen? What are you giving God? Are you giving him what's little? Well, you know, I got $12. You know, I'm, I'm, I tell you what, we're going to give him eight of it. You know, when I learned the principle of giving God what was his? I was about uh, five years old. I was, I was four or five, and I remember where we lived. I don't remember my dad doing this. I remember my mom telling me the story about this, and I remember where we lived. We, uh, and my mom said that they had, uh, my, my dad and him, they was working. They worked hard. They've always worked hard. And 
my mother, this is when they were real young married, obviously not because I'm young at that time. And I remember my mom saying that the, the plate passed. And back then there was this thing that people used called cash. It was this little green piece of paper and had numbers on it, okay? It's green and had like one, five, 20, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I remember my mother telling this story that when the, pa- the plate passed down the way, my dad had $10. They had paid all the bills. And they were at church and $10, which was the tithe at that time. And she said, I knew that was the only $10 we had to our name. And she said, we had you and your, your older brother Chuck. And I knew we didn't have enough groceries to make it to the end of the week. But I saw your dad throw that $10 in that plate like, it, like he had a hundred more $10 bills. She said, I remember asking him after church, Charles, that was the only $10 we had. No, that wasn't even ours. That was the Lord's to begin with. I'd just given it back to him. She said when they got home from church that day, there was two bags of groceries sitting on their front porch. He said, well, I don't know if I believe all that. Well, I'm here. I didn't starve to death. So you can believe what you want. I'm just saying when you do it God's way, there's provisions. Now, we don't like groceries sitting on our, on our earth. You know why? Because we feel inferior that somebody had to help us. Come on, some of you, you can't get help. You, can't, you won't let God help you because you got that pride thing in your heart and in your spirit, and you won't let God. That's why groceries ain't showing up on your step. But you're in debt to your eyeballs. You can't, you can't go do things. You can't go give and you can't live generously because you got this pride thing. God said, I'm trying to get pride out of you. This is going to preach good today. I can sense it in my spirit. Verse 8. No, I've already read verse 8. I'm at verse 9. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, he's talking about you're doing all these, giving these lame sacrifices and these blind animals, and they wasn't supposed to do that. And That's another message altogether. They're supposed to bring the best, the, the, the ones that didn't have blemish and spot on them to, to give to the priest. And he says, you're doing all this thing, all this stuff wrong. And he says, verse 9, I'll start again. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, he will accept you favorably. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 10, who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? This is a question. He's talking to the priest. Who's going to say, no, you can't bring that into this house? No, you, you're not allowed to do it that way because that's not God's way. You, this is where some of you should say, go on, preacher, you preach. Preach to yourself. I am. I'm fitting to preach to you too. That stuff that's coming into your house, the defile in your house, when you're going to stand up and say, no, little John and little Susan, we're not doing it that way. No, you can't bring that in my house. Get up out of here with that stuff. No, you can't bring, no, you can't watch that on that television. No, you can't listen to that on that phone because I pay for it. When are you going to, as a parent, when are we going to say, no, we're not going to do such and such because we're going to go to the house of the Lord on a regular basis. Come on, this is good stuff. 
we got to start shutting the door on this thing that the world's trying to invade in little bit by little bit. Well, everybody does it. Everybody plays ball on the weekend. Not everybody. Come on, I, I know y'all get on to me. Uh, y'all, y'all kind of get these vibes at me when I start talking about all this stuff. But you know why I talk about it? Because what you're doing. That's what you're doing. You're allowing this ball to come in. I'm telling you, what you tolerate, your kids will embrace. And if you say that church is somewhat important or maybe not important or we'll go when it's convenient, your kids are picking up on it. I don't care if they're one year old or if they're 17 years, they're picking up on it. And guess what's going to happen? When they get older, they're going to say, well, you didn't think it was that important because you're going to come to this revelation of Jesus and you're going to go to them and say, now, son, you ought to go to church. And they're going to throw this in your face and say, but you didn't think it was that important. You let us do all that stuff. That stung a little bit. Church, we got to start shutting the door on this invasion that the devil's trying to bring into the church house. Come on, he, he's over taking it to your house. He got you there. Now he's trying to get into the church house. And it ought to be up to every one of us that love the Lord, that are trying to do the commandments of the Lord to stand on the property and say, I tell you what, you can come up to here, but you can't get on the property with your stuff. You got to go back home. We're going to shut you out. We're going to pray you out. We're going to shout you out. We're going we're gonna to teach the word of God, and you can't come in this place. But yet what happens? We give a little here, and we give a little there, and that's okay, and it's okay for you to do this, and it's okay for you. Come on, I want to preach. It's okay for you to shack up a little bit and still be doing the same thing you want to do, and we'll put you in a class. No, that don't happen. you got to get right with God. I'm not saying you got to be perfect, but there's these blatant sins that's going on in your house, and you're trying to bring them into this house. You know what that says? Just come on in. We'll let you invade us little by little. Church, it's time to wake up. We're in the end. If you think it's rough now, you think it's, look here, you just wait. I'm going to give it five years. And I'm not a prophet. Y'all know I don't, I don't, I'm, not into, I'm not into prophecy in, in that sense. That's not my calling. But I'm telling you within five years, if you don't get right and get strong with God and you don't get in his word and you get some solid foundation, you won't be standing for him because you're not going to be that strong. Things are going to change in America quickly. They've changed in the last since this administration. It's not political. I'm just telling you, a, a, a dummy can figure this out. This, this administration has changed so much against what we believe is Christian values in six or eight months here. And you think this is, this is just beginning. This is just beginning. It's coming. You better get right. You better know that your kids know Jesus. You better start putting the word of God in because what's going to happen? The devil will come in and say, now, did the word say that? Are you sure it said? He didn't really say that now, did it? Come on, he's already doing it. You ain't really a little boy, are you? Just because you got outdoor plumbing don't mean that you're a little boy. I mean, you can be anything you want to. Come on, that's what, that's what he's, is that what's happening? Come on, we, we've got in the church where we don't like to talk about these things. And the things that's going on out in the, out in the world is what we need to be talking about because that stuff's coming into the church and we don't stand firm. And the reason it's out there because we didn't talk about it in the church and we sent our people, our members out there into the world to live and we never told them that this is coming. Watch out for this. The devil's not going to tell you. 
That's why they try to keep this stuff secret in your schools. That's why, they, that's why a child, a teenage woman, a young lady, a 9, 10-year-old can go get abortion without parent parental consent, but you can't give them an aspirin in school without your mom and daddy signing off on it. Now, that's just backwards to me. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Why? Because, see, they're trying to cover up that. He let it slip on in. Come on, this is good stuff, church. Verse 11. For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. That just made the Jews extremely mad. Because, see, they were the chosen. Makes church people mad, too. Don't do right, I'll, I'll raise up the heathen from outside to do right. Come on. What do you mean, God? I mean, hey, I got the credentials. They don't have credentials. God says, I don't care about your credentials. You can take those credentials and do whatever you want to with them. I'm going to raise up a generation of people that love me and that honor me that seek me, that worship me, that praise me, that love me for who I am, not what I can do for them. That's why we can't understand the love I was talking about earlier. If God doesn't do something, the first thing we want to holler, God, do you even love me? Do you love me, God? I mean, you see my situation, don't you? Because, see, most of us doesn't have enough discipline to tell our kids, you can't get on your phone for 24 hours. We cave after two hours. And we use some dumb excuse like, those kids are just driving me crazy. I ain't never had a kid drive me crazy. You know why? We can argue this till I die, till you die. Because God made me and my wife to be over the children, not the children over me. It's just real simple. This is not difficult. You say, well, I had one of those tough children. I didn't say they couldn't be tough. But in the end, if you're the parent, you should win. I took a nerve. More on my parental counseling or advice later on, okay? Hallelujah. For far from the rising of the sun, even it's going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you, verse 12, but you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit and its food is contemptible. In other words, he's saying, they, we ain't got to go to church. That's just not that important. That's what he's saying. If you want to break this down and make a metaphor, and the Bible's full of that, if you want to say, what he's saying is the house of the Lord, that's where in the, in the holy of the holies, you had the outer court, inner court, and most holy place, there was the table of showbread and it was set up and, and there was an altar there. And you're saying, that's just not that important to me. That's what you're, what you're saying. And, and see, that was the church. That was the very first synagogue, if you will. The first church was the, was the movable temple. And, and he's saying, you're saying as people that to the Jews, he's talking to the Jews. He said, and he gave the description of how to build it to Moses, and, and he set it all up, and, and, and he's, 
He's speaking to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people say, well, it's just not that important to me. Then nothing happened to us now. I mean, we're doing fine, aren't we? I mean, let's get real. We were slaves, now we're not. So we're doing okay. So I really don't think it's that important. That's just some ritual you go through. Keep that up. Just keep that thought up. If I were you were to be honest, anybody, everybody in this room could raise their hand and say, I know of people that were on fire and they got hurt, they got tore up in church, whatever. They're out of church and now their kids are heathens or hellions. And if something doesn't change, there's going to be a problem in their life. Why? Why don't we allow this to creep into the church? Why is it not important? Why? Why? Do we just think church is just something that if we have extra time, we'll go sacrifice to the Lord that we were here. Lord, I'm here. Bless me if you can. You know I need a miracle. God says you're going to need one after a while too. I'm just saying, church, it's time we get serious about serving the Lord. Because if you're not serious now when you can, you won't serve him when you have to. Y'all heard uh, last week that the underground church in Kabul, they all got killed. Not one, not the pastor. Oh, I'm going to bless God. No, all of them. Why? Are you ready for this? Because our current administration... Regardless of whether you think we should have been there or not, that's irrelevant. Pulled out incorrectly. And I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying there's a proper way to do this. And now, look, if it happened there, and that, it'll happen here. He'll pull the rug. This administration will pull the rug out from under your feet. I'm not political. It's not a political. I'm talking about a spiritual concept in this administration. That'd be a good amen or old me moment. 13, you, all, you also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. What's he talking about? He's talking about bringing the fruits and stuff to the temples, what he's talking about. He's talking about taking care of the temple. He's talking about you showing up and thinking, mm, that food's condemned. I don't even like that. He's talking about you. He's talking about the family. Ah, oh, it's just a weariness to go to church. I mean, you know, if you had a couple of kids, here three kids, you, do you know what chore it is to get up and go to church? I guess about the same it is when you get up and go to work. About the same it is when you get up and send them to school. They all, let me give you a parallel. They all got to get fed. You ain't even got to pack a sack lunch here, though. We'll give them a snack. So that's one thing off your list. You got to get them fed, get some kind of resemblance of a combed head, put some clothes on them, brush some teeth, and try to get them to church. Same thing you do when you go to school or when you go to work. But yet, why is it so hard? Why do we think church is just a weariness? It's just so difficult for us to make it. I mean, you just don't understand, Pastor, how difficult it is. You don't have kids. Hmm? Did have. And Ethan can tell you, he can count to five. So I know he can, I know he can tell you how many times we miss church. 
It's somewhat under five because he can't pass, can't pass five, but under somewhere under five. You can do it if you make a choice to do it. I'm not saying you can't take off, but I'm talking about when, when you are a two-time a month, something's wrong with your relationship with Christ. If that's what you got, something is wrong. We're letting the enemy come in and steal everything that we're working for. When we say, this is the best I've got. And God said, it is not the best to you that you have. You're giving your best to a job. You're giving your best to, to a sport, to a kid. You're giving your best over here. I am not getting your best, and you're defiling this. And God says, I have a problem with that. It's time we start giving our best. You can do whatever you choose to do. Whatever you're passionate about, you'll find a way to get there. I don't care what it is. Preacher, you're doing a good job today. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to read verse 13 again. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer of it at it. <clears throat> says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring an offering. If you read it, he says, you mean to tell me you're calling that an offering? You bring the, lit, the lame and the sick and, and the disfigured, and you're telling me that's an offering? Well, Malachi, y'all thought I preached hard. Malachi, woo, he tough. Then he says this, you call that an offering? Should I accept this from your hand? Look, I'm not making this stuff up. Some of you didn't know Malachi was in the Bible. Should I accept this offering from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. As preachers and pastors, we're taking defiled stuff and trying to paint over it with a bunch of makeup and make it right, make people feel good with no change on the inside. But we made you feel really good, so now that you feel good about yourself, you must be on the right path because you can get up and say, I love Jesus. But if there's not a heart change on the inside, then you're a liar saying you love Jesus. And when you take all the makeup off of it, you know the old saying, you can put makeup on a pig, but you wipe it off, it's still a pig. We can do the same thing with us. And in our houses, in our homes, listen to me, in our homes, we're bringing the lame and the sick and the blemished, the leftover. Watch this. The stinky attitudes, I got to go because little Junior's making me go. He's just wearing me out, wants to go to children's church because it's so good. Praise God. I hope he wears you out tomorrow. I hope you got to come on Wednesdays. I hope, I hope they just bug you to death so, till you bring them every week till they shut up. And when they shut up, that means they'll be out of our youth ministry in 18 years. Amen. Thank me. Yes. Amen. Some of you are like, oh, God, 18 more years of this. Oh, good Lord. 
It's not a dread if you get right and say, you know what, I'm doing this for my kids too. I'll bring them to church and teach them the, the values of God. I've dedicated most children in this church. And one of the things that you agreed to was that you would bring up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You can answer that question whenever. Verse 14, but cursed be the deceiver who is in his flock. I already read all that, didn't I? I'm sorry. I got to hurry. I got two minutes. To, got two hours and two minutes. The enemy has invaded the church via the root of the home. The church is made up of people, and people make up the home. Think about that just for a minute. When there's nobody here, the devil is not occupying this place. He's not occupying this place anytime. But what does he ride in, or what vehicle does he use to get here? People. Did you hear? He uses people to invade the church because that's, he has to use something else. He can't create anything, so he has to use something. The thing that he can use is you and me. The condition of the heart at home will reflect the actions of the church at the church. They reflect, let me tell you that again. The condition of the heart at home will reflect the actions of the church. Remember last week we talked about being deceived and you thought, well, nobody knows. Your actions at home reflect how you think and how you feel about the house of God and the things of God. I don't know if I believe all that, Pastor. Well, it's true. Because the Bible says you're going to be known by your fruit. I didn't come up with it. It just says you're going to be known by your fruit. If your life and your thoughts are about God, there's going to be things about God that's going to be evident in your life, around your life, outside of the church and in the church. Your passion will be outside for God and inside the church. It'll be for God. Man, this is a shout-me-down kind of message today. So quickly in review, and I'm not going to finish this message. I can work on it next week. I'll finish it. How did the church get invaded? Number one, they stopped honoring God. And number two, they brought lame sacrifices. They brought just something to say, I got here, let's get by, and that's it, Lord. They stopped honoring God. Oh, no, no, I love Jesus. I mean, I, I talked to my little Johnny the other day about Jesus. Well, what was it about? Well, you know, Carrie Underwood had this song, Jesus Take the Wheel, and I told him that he, he needs to be your co-pilot. Jesus, I always need to be your co-pilot. Well, you... That's the problem. You still want to be the pilot and let him be the co-pilot. You know what a co-pilot is? You can't perform your duties, you're going to take over. You always want a co-pilot if you're flying in a plane. In case that over there, the fellow's supposed to know everything and do it, and in case he has a heart attack. You need a co-pilot. Here's the problem with this reversed in the world today. We want to be the pilot all the time. We never want, we want God only to be the co-pilot. We just want to, in case we need to call on him, in case there's a little trouble. Otherwise, we got it. We've stopped honoring God. 
That's what we've done. Number one, we've stopped honoring God and telling our kids who God really is and that he is the Jehovah Jireh and he is the provider and he will take care of you. He's Jehovah Nisi, your banner. That he, he's, he is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. He, he is this God and we honor him. But we don't honor him anymore. He's just something that we pull off of the shelf or call upon when we have trouble. When we need something, a miracle in our life, we'll start calling on Jehovah. Jehovah, where are you? This is your chosen one. Help me. If I was God, it would be so funny. Because when people call me, I'll say, hey, who are you? I don't think I know you. Hadn't heard from you in a while. It would be so funny. Thank God he's not like that. He'll say, yes. And then he'll tweak you a little bit. And move you a little bit. And squeeze you down a little bit. To try to get you to conform. It's not because he wants to beat you up and beat you down. He wants you to love him and honor him. Amen. I'm going to close with that. And we're going to pick up here next week, okay? Will that be all right? I still got another message in this one. To be continued. Will you stand with me?